This is Mike Kamita. I'm the author of Leafs 365, which is, includes 365 short hockey history stories about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm one half your host, Justin Williams. And you know, I'm never alone. I have my man with me, the myth, the legend, the one that makes me sound so good, the one who knows everything about NFTs. And if you haven't yet, go to our website, prosportspodcasters.com. Give us a bit of a, a bit of a follow there by signing up for our um our lovely newsletters that come out every month. And also, if you're listening to this on iTunes, for the love of God, leave us a comment, please. Please welcome my close friend, Colbert Durand. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I got a second that. Leave us a comment. (laughs) Honestly. That you made because... Like we're way over 300 episodes and I guess we've never really asked for comments. We're not that kind of, you know, podcast. We're not just not that kind of people. Yeah. But as a result of such, people don't comment. They just tell us how great it is in person. But you got to tell us how it is online because we've been taking some flack about it. Listen, we love the DMs that we get. We read them all the time. We love you guys. Awesome. Kobe's voice sounds like an angel. We understand leave those comments somewhere that people can read please like just it would help us out so much but anyways anyways this man that i'm about to introduce he he needs more comments than we do not because he's struggling but because he's worth it everything this man writes is gold it's amazing he this guy ladies and gentlemen he is a world renowned author by the name of mike Kamito, who re- was releasing a book called Leafs 365. He released a book recently called Hockey 365, Daily Stories from the Ice. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Mike. Mike, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I can live up to that that intro as a world-renowned author, but I'll sure try. <laughs> Oh, I bet you can. And I do I do apologize for a bit of the stutter in the beginning. As I was saying it, for some reason, my mouth decided to salivate because I'm so excited to kind of talk some Leafs right now because <laughs> what the heck was that performance in Buffalo? We're not going to get into that just yet. Mike, this is your story, your book. How do you want to start it? Do you want to tell us the beginnings of how, how this all happened? Do you want to tell us the ending of how this all happened? You tell us what you want to talk about first. Sure. Well, I mean, um, you know, like you said, uh, this this book is kind of an offshoot of the Hockey 365 series. So I did two of those books, uh, and each of those books contained 365 short hockey history stories, one for every day of the year. Uh, so I did the first period, uh, which is what we're calling the first volume back in 2018, and then I 
released the second period right in the middle of the pandemic, which uh, as I turned as it turned out was not the best time to release a book. Um, I think the book still did well, but obviously in terms of celebrating and launching a book uh, in a pandemic, it's not necessarily the the most opportune time to get together with friends and family and celebrate uh, a project <laughs> finally coming to fruition. But, but all that, um, you know, a year or so after that, there, we were kind of talking with the publisher, Dunner and Press, about, you know, do we complete regulation, so to speak, and do the third period, or do we go in a different direction? And at the time, I wasn't quite ready to dive into the third period yet, just because so much research and uh, writing obviously goes into these books, and you're having to craft, you know, 365 individual stories that. I thought maybe we can kind of do a more pared down version and just approach uh, one specific team. Uh, and for me, the, the no brainer was to go with the Leafs because they've been my favorite team since I was alive, basically. And so that was the idea that I pitched the publisher was, you know, let's let's complete regulation at some point. We'll do a third period when it makes sense. But in the meantime, Leafs, Leafs 365 was a project that I was really excited about. And that's kind of what I spent the better part of 2022 doing. Um, and then now I'm finally just happy that it's, uh, you know, it's out there in the world and, and hopefully people are enjoying it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. You know what, buddy? I bet a lot of people will, given the fact this is a Leafs nation, given the fact that Leafs are everywhere and they're one of the most popular teams. And who doesn't love a little bit of inside story, a little something, something, a little behind the curtains. You know what I mean? We all kind of love those little gigs. So when it came to writing each story, how did you decide which one was the story to tell first? That was always the tricky part was because, you know, during the regular season, um, there's typically multiple dates or multiple events that you can choose from. And so I tried to, I think, as a historian, pick what I felt was the most significant moments in franchise history. That being said, that's from my perspective. So obviously, even though I am a historian, what I think is significant may not be what somebody else thinks is significant, but I tried to weight them as, as best as I could. Ultimately, there's a few stories in there, well, more than a few, where you know, I chose them because I thought they were interesting, funny, entertaining to me. Um, again, hoping that there's at least one other reader out there who agrees with some of these more off the wall stories. But but certainly I think, you know, when you get into the summer months, it's it actually becomes a lot more difficult than choosing the stories. It's the heart, the bigger challenge is finding a story. Um, obviously, we know that the Leafs have never played in June, as everyone likes to remind me. So they always joke about how that month must have been difficult to put together. But to be honest, that one wasn't too bad because you obviously have, you know, trades, signings, well, not signing so much, but uh, drafts, all sorts of different things that happen in that month. And then where it really gets tricky was in, was in July and August, right? Obviously you got a lot of uh, activity at the beginning of free agency, but then, you know, things kind of taper off in the dog days of summer, having bubble hockey in 2020 gave me a few dates to work with, you know, when they took on the blue jackets in that plan series, but after that, um, you know, there's days when maybe nothing happens and you, you can't exactly bank on a signing or a trade. And so you had to kind of get creative and lean on birthdays. I really didn't use birthdays too much in the first two books just because I thought it was kind of a, not cheating, but I thought there'd be more interesting stories to tell. But what I realized with this one that it was A, it was unavoidable not to use birthdays, but B, it gave me an opportunity to maybe highlight a player that otherwise wouldn't have maybe had their own story in the book. And so I just kind of used the birthday as an entry point and then kind of took that as a way to explore something hopefully interesting in that player's career. And who doesn't love a famous birthday twin, especially if you're a Leafs? I got to go check out who was on March 31st. Yeah, I was going to actually ask that. So I'm born on the luckiest day of the year, August 8th. Oh, it's my mom's birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my there, God. There, there yeah. you go. So what happened like can you give us a little hint like what's what's august 8th all about so that was so like that's one where the you know the leafs had 
defenseman, uh, Kirill Pilars, he signed with the Thrashers in 2007. So it wasn't necessarily even a Leafs moment. It was uh, he left the Leafs in free agency, right? And so that's kind of, I think that's an example of a story where short of maybe putting my mom's birthday in the book, you know, that's, I think, a, a thin, you know, incident that happened where obviously it's related to the Leafs. I touch on like his... Uh, you know, his story with the team and, you know, he actually had some health problems. So I kind of went into that and, you know, how, you know, he seemed like he was on a good trajectory with the team until, you know, he had this, this ailing heart problem, but, but ultimately it kind of just kind of details the end of his, his time with Toronto going over to Atlanta and then, you know, towards the tail end, tail end of his career. So there's moments like that where, you know, a player didn't necessarily sign with the Leafs, but they left the Leafs in free agency or they were traded from the, by the Leafs to another team. But yeah, that, that is my mom's birthday. I, I should have put a shout out for her in the book, but uh, the book is dedicated to her. So I think she's got her, uh, her, her fair, uh, she's got a proper shout out. Right on. Now, when you're curating, you know, each individual day, there'll be some days that are just stacked obviously mm-hmm. uh, who has final veto like do you do you pick these all yourself or do you have a team with you like what happens there no i mean it's it's all me so uh basically before before i start writing the book i'll put together a grid that has all 366 stories because uh you know the, i do account for leap year so there is a february 29th story in there so i am you know cobbling together 366 and so i'll fill the grid uh, and some of those dates have, you know, multiple options. And what I find is that obviously as you can writing process, you may see that you've done, you know, too many stories on a certain player, or maybe you haven't highlighted another player enough. And so you kind of switch things around where, again, um, there's a lot of players in the book where they have multiple stories, but, you know, as you're kind of going through the writing process and you say to yourself, hey, I've written, you know, four stories about Daryl Sittler this month. Maybe mm-hmm. this date that is still notable for him and the Leafs, you know, maybe I swapped it up for this other event or milestone just because, you know, as much as you, there's no such thing as too many Daryl Sittler stories, you know, you are mindful that the people that are reading this book are coming from, you know, all different generations of fandom. And so you've got the people who remember Daryl Sittler, but you've got people reading this book who don't even know who Daryl Sittler is and may not realize the significance of, of what he uh, meant to the franchise. And so I ultimately had veto power when we get into the, the actual editing process, uh, the editor that we work with, um, you know, they'll put in some feedback as well. So there was a couple stories, uh, you know, that I ended up. Sw- and then, I mean, I think the challenging thing for me was, uh, there was a couple moments last year that happened that were just too good not to include. One was Mitch Marner's incredible point streak. And I was just trying to figure out when I could include that in the book. I was almost kind of waiting for it to come to an end so that I could like finally figure out which story I was going to have to replace. And then the one that I had to include was, you know, when the Devils were on the cusp of franchise history for the longest winning streak and they get, they went up against the Leafs and they had three disallowed goals which is something that's so unlikely that it could only, it, would, it seemed like it was something only that could happen to the Leafs is having three disallowed goals in a game to then have your franchise <laughs> record uh, halted. Uh, so I included that. And then of course, in the playoffs, uh, by that time, the book was already finalized, um, you know, for a few months and I was just kind of waiting for it to go to the printers. But when they finally, you know, won a first round of the first, I had to get the publisher to agree that we had to include at least one story. And then after that one, you're just kind of waiting and thinking, if this if this run continues or it becomes a run, what do we do next? Um, unfortunately, you know, for Leaf fans, we know how that story ended, and there wasn't much to include after that that Game Seven win against Tampa. But uh, but I was happy to be able to include that as like a late addition. But uh, but as an author, kind of happy that it ended the way it did, just because it would have made my life very difficult trying to keep up, 
you know, with the playoff run while trying to like swap out stories that have been ready to go to the printer. Yeah, understandably. So before I pass you back to Justin, I just got to ask, is there, is there a Mike Palmatier story in your book or no? Uh, yes, there is. There is. Uh, oh, oh of course right is. on, right on. Yeah, no, I, uh, I can't think exactly what it is, but no, he's definitely in there. Um, there's def there's a story or two that are dedicated just to him. And then of course his, you'll find his name throughout the book uh, in passing reference, but there's at least one that I know for sure that is just about, uh, Palmatier. Right. I know, I know Justin won't recognize that name, but whatever. I mean, that's, that, that's a name I will not forget. Yeah. I was like, who are you talking about? But but it's okay moving forward. Now, Mike, genuine question for you, not kind of about the book's content, but more or less the book itself. For a young author listening to this, how would they get started? How did you get started? Did you go to a publisher? Did a publisher come to you? Were you independent for a bit? How did that happen? Yeah, so I mean, in, in Canada, for the most part, if you're looking to get a book published with a press, like you have to have a literary agent. Uh, most publishers won't accept unsolicited manuscripts. So I, I knew that going in again, things might've changed now and that's not necessarily the ironclad rule with every, every press across the country, obviously it depends on the size of the press and where they're located and if you have a relationship with them or not. But at the time, um, knowing that I ended up getting a literary agent and working with him, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with Dundurn. I was actually under contract with the university press to take my PhD dissertation and turn it into a book. At that time in my life, I just wasn't interested in continuing that research and that writing because I had done it for five years and I was just kind of over it. And then while I was on vacation, I was at that point in my life writing a lot of hockey stories on the side. I was kind of building up a little bit of a portfolio. I was doing hockey history on social media and I just thought maybe there's a way to take you know the, the social media stuff I was doing combined with my portfolio of writing and like put together you know, Hockey 365 is basically what that was. So on my way home, I sketched out an outline on the plane that this book was going to have 365 stories and they would all be different and, but they would all tie into a different uh, day of the year. And then when I got back, I got to work trying to find an agent, found an agent. And then that's how I got into, uh, in with Dunder Press. And then from there, I've been representing myself for the last two books because I have, uh, you know, obviously a relationship with the press now and, and uh, working with them on the 365 series, it's it's kind of natural that uh, that that would be the only place I can continue doing this work. But yeah, that is that is something to check into as well. I think what I would say to young authors too is is do your homework. I think especially if you're new to the publishing world, you may or may not know the ins and outs of the business. Um, I know myself, you know, getting a university press contract. I didn't need an agent for that. I just signed a deal that was pretty easy to sign because they're not paying you any money in academia. So there was really nothing to kind of review uh, and have somebody look over. But when I got my literary agent, you know, I was happy to get the deal, but I didn't really kind of question the terms of the deal I had with the agent. And then it only, I only realized this many years later after he had unfortunately passed away that he had taken me for a ride and I got ripped off pretty bad by him with the first contract I signed. So I, I learned that the hard way that, you know, just because you wanted to get the book published doesn't mean that I should have signed away, you know, basically my entire advance to this person, but it's a, it's a good lesson. And at least now I'm, you know, I, I keep all my money that I, uh, that I sign off with when I get a new contract for a book versus what happened the first time around. So I think that would be something I would definitely uh, offer advice to is that, uh, you know, if you have, if you have somebody who can look over an agreement for you, that would be great. Uh, but also I think just kind of 
get a better understanding of how the agent world works and figure out what is a fair share, you know, to hand over to an agent. Obviously, there's a there's a commission that they take on contracts you sign, but it was very clear after having talked to another agent who's who was quite reputable in the business that uh, he told me that the guy that had been representing me for the first book, uh, I got ripped off bad. So anyway, it's not the end of the world, but uh, but that would be my one piece of advice I would share for sure. Wow. Okay. That kind of answers my next question, which by the way, thank you for such a detailed answer. I was going to say, if you can go back to younger Mike, what would you tell him about this journey? And I'm assuming that would probably be up there, but if you could tell younger Mike something about this journey, what else would it be? I, I think I, I've, as I've kind of gone through the process now and I've, you know, writing, I've written three, I've got a fourth that I'm working on now. Like I understand the process better. I think, you know, when you're, when you want to write a book and you're excited about that end goal and finally getting it, you know, in your hands, you'll pretty much do whatever you think you need to do to get it done. So for, like I said, you know, signing that deal because it meant that I was going to get a book deal uh, and then, you know, agreeing to a, a timeline that at the time for the first book, like was really ridiculous. Not, not to say that like, you know, if I had a, if I hadn't had a full-time job, it would have been something I could have easily pulled off. But I think just realizing that I had six months to do the first book, you know, to research it and write it like was a, was a quick turnaround. And so what I've learned over the last, you know, five years is just giving myself way more runway. Um, so if we know we want to have a book come out a year from now, like I'm working on that book, you know, in, in early spring of the, of the year before that, right. Just to make sure that you've got enough time that you can get these stories done. You can get the research done without, you know, adding additional stress to your life. Because again, like a lot of authors, uh, I, I don't get paid to do this full time. I've got a full time career, I've got a family. So I've got a lot of stuff on the go. So, I mean, I think those would be the lessons that I would have said to younger Mike is obviously it's exciting to get into this world and this process, but you know, make sure that you give yourself enough time so that you can enjoy it and savor it and not, you know, be stressed out about it every day. And then obviously, uh, you know, do your due diligence when it comes to signing anything, have a friend who's a lawyer, get them to look it over. And then also, yeah, just, just do your homework. That is advice that I would love to give my younger self. Yeah, now we've talked a bit about the amount of work that goes into it and some of the last minute changes you had to make and such. But as a Leafs fan, this must have been an enjoyable passion for you, right? Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, it was, it's, um, I really enjoyed, like, despite the stress of writing the first book, like, I enjoyed it as a first time author. The second book, I really enjoyed that just because I think I was a little bit more comfortable with myself as a writer and I got to take a little bit of, uh, not liberties, but I think I was more comfortable with my own voice and kind of taking the stories in different directions versus, uh, you know, what I think the first book was a little bit more straight laced, just not sure where I could kind of go with the humor and some of the stories I included. But but for this one, yeah, this was definitely the most enjoyable one. The workload was was shorter as well. I think you'll notice if you've if you've seen the book or you, if you picked it up, like it is a beautiful hardcover than the the first two, and that's because the stories are about half the size. So that that also allowed me to kind of uh, balance the workload a little bit better as well. Which obviously, if you can manage the workload without stressing, it's it's going to be much more enjoyable. But I think as a fan of the team, to be able to go back and kind of relive. Some of these moments that I experienced, or I remember watching myself, whether it was as a young kid or just like a few months ago during the playoffs, that was a lot of fun. And I mean, even just kind of going back and there's a lot of moments that I obviously didn't experience in my lifetime, but getting to research and 
learning more about some of these players or learning more about players that I've otherwise have come across during my uh, fandom was a was a fun experience. I think just being able to kind of really you know get get into the, these stories, and I think especially the stories where you can relate to them or you you know them inside and out because you know you've been following the team closely, and that's when you can really kind of you know, flex your writing muscles as a, both as a fan and a historian. It was just really a really fun process for me. Who are your three favorite Leafs? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think ultimately for, for me as a kid, um, like it's hard to, to forget the players that I like first gravitated to when I was watching the Leafs. So I was born in 85. So for me, like my first memories of watching hockey are in the early nineties. Right. So, you know, I've got Felix Podvay on the cover of the book his mask exactly but a riff on the cat's mask i mean for me he was always my favorite goaltender growing up and then doug gilmore wendell clark like those are the guys that obviously you know i was rooting for for as a kid so i mean i could pick those three right now and that probably answer your question but i think even you know just over the years you know in of of my vintage again like matt sundin is obviously a no-brainer for me to include into that and I mean, even now, I think being able to see Austin Matthews doing what he's doing from when he broke into the league, you know, 2016 to now where he seems to just be taking his game to levels. That's just, I think, a really, I think it's a treat for Leaf fans. Obviously, uh, you know, we looking for that success in the playoffs more than anything else. But I think to be able to have a player like that, so talented in a variety of areas, uh, is, is something that I think I would have to add him to my my whatever my top three might be going back to my younger days to to watching the team now. Wow, that's that's true. I mean, Austin Matthews in himself is a gem. So, so here's the thing: both you and Justin, basically, you you came in after the Harold Ballard years, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you've got nothing but mostly happy memories of the Maple Leafs. Uh, well, I mean, uh, there's uh, I, I define think, happy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I think I, you know, the last playoff when I saw I w- would have been in you know, or like undergrad, I think that's when it was like in university. And then I mean, certainly uh, after that, like, you know, 2013 still looms large in my mind as a, as a psyche shattering moment. So no, I didn't definitely didn't experience, I think some of the, you know, the eighties the, the were rough for the team. And then obviously, yeah. you know, Ballard era was, was interesting for a number of years. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't get to experience that, but, but certainly, so I think there are, I, we have been fortunate enough that there's been some fun memories that I can recall, you know, from the high flying days in the early nineties when they went to the, you know, the conference final back to back years. But mm-hmm. beyond that, um, there's, I think some, a lot of fun moments where you can take, uh, you can look back and smile at, I think individual games and individual player performances. But, uh, I, I think still, I, I would trade all of that for, uh, for some sustained, uh, playoff victories. Does Wayne Gretzky make an appearance in your book? Uh, you know what? He does in, in yeah, because I think the, when I tackle the Kings, uh, the Kings Leaf series in 93, yeah. I think it actually focuses on the first game because that's when like Clark and McSorley get into like a pretty good tilt. And I think Clark feeds them pretty good. But to be honest, I didn't, I didn't include the Kerry Fraser, you know, missed call, all that stuff. For whatever reason, I went in different directions with that. I felt like that's been it's been done. I don't know if we need to keep relitigating that one or not. Obviously, it was a missed call, and I think Kerry said as much over the years. But yeah, so Gret- there's not a ton of Gretzky stories in there. If there are, it's in passing. But yeah, with that King series, I really only approached that one game, which was the opener, because it was uh, it started off with a bang, right? And I mean, it's it's funny at the time because 
going into that series, like the two best players in the league, at least in the playoffs that year, were Wayne Gretzky and Doug Gilmore. Um, So, like, that was kind of the billing was, like, these two guys were finally going to square off. But I think uh, Mick Sorley and Wendell Clark kind of stole the show that night when they they threw down. Yeah, so you became a fan during the, like, the peak of the Enforcer era. Mm -hmm. How do you... How do you feel hockey compares now to then? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of one of these things where I've uh, I kind of I borrow some some thinking from Jeff Merrick, right? Where you know, growing up and and seeing that and like seeing that as a normal part of the game, you know, there's always going to be that that and he uses the phrase reptile part of my brain that always appreciates that kind of hockey, mm-hmm. but knowing what we know now about the sport uh, and about the impact on you know. Can, you know, like the impact of concussions and traumatic brain injuries, it's hard to kind of reconcile the two. I mean, obviously you always appreciate, I think a good, um, you know, tilt against two evenly matched opponents. It is, it is difficult to obviously, I think for the, for the betterment of the game, I think, you know, having the game kind of progress away from that just because of the impact it has on the players, you know, years after they leave the ice, I think just makes sense. But there will always be that tiny reptile part of my brain that obviously, you know, still gets excited when you see the gloves come off uh, and something's going to go down on the ice. A hundred percent. I'm with you completely on your assessment of that. I think that's, I think it's the way most people see it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I concur. Now about the book itself, you said that you struggled with a lot of different ideas that you wanted to put in a lot of different stories. Do any of those stretch to the Marlies by almost like a default to a degree, or is it strictly just Leafs? It's it's strictly just Leafs. So there's definitely a lot of players in the book who have connections with the Marlies. Um, so for example, there's a few players, again, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but like th- one of the stories would be like, they signed an agreement with, um, in the off season, but they ended up spending the entire year with the Marlies. So what I'll do with a story like that is I'll kind of you know provide a little bit of context as to, you know, where their career was before the signing, whether or not they were joining the Leafs organization or they'd already been part of Toronto and it was a, it was a re-signing. But there's definitely a lot of those moments where, you know, this player just never played a game for the Leafs. He was sent down to the minors, spent his time in the minors. So I will cover that, but I won't take a Marley-specific moment and just use that as the story. I think that would have actually made my life a lot easier. I could have used the Calder Cup. I uh, could have yep. used a lot of, you know, moments like that. But I, I really kept the focus on uh, just on the Maple Leafs. Okay. And then obviously I'm assuming it doesn't count for anything else. Just the, like, I was going to say your, your farm team back when it was the solar bears. Now, if uh, growlers. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I was kind of curious how that was going to go. Now, as you mentioned, there was an abundance of stories. Could we possibly see maybe in like a year or two, a deluxe edition of this book? So it's like Leafs three, six, five part two or something. I think you could. I think there's definitely enough stories to go around that you could do a second volume of it. Mm. I know that even just after kind of having finished the project and stepping away from it, like you realize there's a lot of players where maybe I, I would have liked to have included more stories about that particular person. But when you kind of go into the project, you just start filling up the grid, so to speak. And then after you've written it all, you realize, oh, there's like this player didn't factor in as much as I thought they would. You know, and oftentimes it's a product. You know, they, they you know, all these players have their own very, you know, impactful games, but depending on who you are and, you know, which other things happen that day, you know, maybe that doesn't make it into the book. So I think I would definitely do it again. 
Um, I think it's going to be up to the publisher to see what they want to do. If they want to do a second Leafs 365, I think that'll kind of, that'll be determined by, uh, you know, how many uh, copies are sold and how many, you know, are found under the Christmas tree uh, this holiday season. So I won't rule it out, but I think, you know, with, uh, especially with any, you know, original six team, there's a lot of history there. And certainly uh, I've, you know, it's not a comprehensive history of the team. And I think you could definitely go back you know, the point I just mentioned earlier about like the Kerry Fraser missed high stick. Like there's an example of one that one of, you know, dozens and dozens that, uh, you know, we could just do this all over again. So, I mean, I would be down for it for sure as a Leaf fan, but uh, it's uh, that won't be my call to make. I mean, I really hope sales are so good that we get a second volume because <laughs> selfishly I'd prefer that. Now, what would be your perfect outcome for this aside from being New York Times number one bestseller? <laughs> What, what's uh what's Mike's dream? You know what? Like, I mean, I'll, maybe maybe I'll take because they they say like you put it out in the universe and like I I, I would like to see it be a lofty goal for especially for like an author that's not well known beyond like maybe their the, the the loyal friends and family that buy their books. But I think any author that puts like their work into the universe, you want you want it to be read. You want people to to pick it up. And I mean, I know that that's a huge thing to ask people to do because like you're asking a somebody to spend their hard-earned money on something that you made and then spend their time reading it right so it's not just like the money of buying the book it's actually people spending time with the book so beyond like my like my materialistic goal of like wanting to see it in like the toronto star bestseller list or uh you know any kind of canadian bestseller list would really kind of be a nice bonus for me but i think for me what I want is just uh, is people to enjoy it and people to read it, right? I think one of the things that I noticed with the previous books was that I didn't go into it thinking I was, you know, writing to a, a younger audience, but I had a lot of parents come up to me and tell me that, you know, my son or daughter is like not huge into reading, but they love hockey and they read your book cover to cover, right? So I think for me, like the project is is, is a success if you know, people have enjoyed this book and they've shared it with their friends and their family and uh, and it becomes a treasured item that they keep, you know, on their bookshelf or on their mantle or on the back of their toilet. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that that at the end of the day is the goal, right? Like authors money. You do that to have your work kind of have uh, to resonate with other people. You hope that people can, you know, t- see these stories and see themselves in them. And so I think at the end of the day, that's all I can hope for. But obviously, there's a part of me that knows that the more copies of this book we sell, the more likelihood I have of continuing to do this. So, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, selling copies isn't isn't part of the goal because it just in, ensures the publisher keeps, you know, putting, you know, investment and resources into continuing this project, whether it's, you know, uh, a Habs 365, which we're working on now, or a Leafs 365 Volume 2, or expanding the series into other teams. Um, certainly not as interesting for... Uh, for Leaf fans, but but I think if this if series expands, that's that's obviously great for me and, and great for hockey history, I think. And I think it's great for fandom all around. Mike, before I pass it to Kobe, one kind of last selfish question, I must ask this. Um, when it comes down to the whole writing process, is there an author that you kind of emulated? You know, it's, it's funny because like, I, I think what I try to do the most is just I read really eclectically. So like I'm reading nonfiction hockey, I'm reading nonfiction, like I just read, uh, well, not this, not that recent, but uh, 
like the uh, American Prometheus, which was like basically the the biography of Robert Oppenheimer that informed uh, Christopher Nolan's movie. And so I'll go from reading that to then reading Doug McLean's draft day book. Now I'm reading, you know, Colonel Chris Hatfield's book. It's a novel called The Defector. So like, and the reason I, I think I, I don't do that deliberately. I do like honors, but I do find that having a variety of perspectives and seeing other authors and how they write and how they approach different stories. Like, I think that only makes you a better writer the more you read and the more different things that you read. So like, I think I do that for fun because I like to just read everything. But I also know that in the back of my mind, this is helping me become a better writer by reading as much as I can. That being said, you know, like the level that I always aspire to, and I, these books are a little bit different because it's, it's challenging trying to do this all in like 175 words each page. But Stephen Brunt is probably one of my favorite, you know, authors when it comes to hockey books. Um, he's got that book, Searching for Bobby Orr, which to me is is like probably my gold standard for hockey books, just because he's able to kind of transcend the genre is just a hockey book. Like it's just an incredible story about Bobby Orr and his, you know, his career and in, in, in hockey history uh, in general for that matter. And so like, that would be one name that I, that I still think of when I kind of approach these books and he's, he's still doing a lot of great work. He's got a book out right now with, with Jordan Tutu that I have on my shelf that I haven't read yet. But like, other than that, other than a particular author like Stephen Brunt, um, I just try to read as much as I can uh, just so that I can try to like broaden my, Broaden my skill set, learn some new words, try to incorporate those when I can, and and just keep growing. That's that was a fantastic answer. Yeah, hey, obviously you're working on your next book already, but but where can people find you on social media? Find your book currently? Where would they go for that? So you can find me pretty much on on all platforms uh, at Mike Comito for all of them. Uh, so again, primarily I'm still doing. Twitter X, whatever we're calling it this week. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to post that same Hawk history content on uh, threads and, and blue sky. So it's, it's there as well. But to get the book, you know, if you're listening in Canada or tuning in from Canada, it's officially released in Canada as of uh, October 17th. So you can get it, you know, from your, wherever you like to buy books. So if you have a favorite independent bookseller, uh, if they don't have it in the store, they can order it in for you. You can get it from Chapters or Indigo in Canada, whether that's brick and mortar stores, have them in, on, in stock on the shelves, or you can just order it online. And then Amazon Canada does have it, although there's a glitch right now where it's going to show you that the release date isn't until November 14th, which is the U.S. release date. So you right now on Amazon, it's going to show up as a pre-order and that it, it won't be released until November 14th. We've been really trying to get that issue sorted out with Amazon. I think it's a, a problem that's happening with with a lot of authors, but because we're probably now, you know, nine days away from that November 14th date, I think it's probably safe to say it's going to, it probably won't be resolved by then, but you'll, you'll at least get the book in, uh, in nine days if you go Amazon or you've got those other two options that you can go about. Right on, right on. Can we give one away, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Right on, buddy. It's good to have you on again, man. No, thanks for having me back, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience where no sport is left behind.